0: All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. And let me say to those of you who might be visiting with us this morning for the first time, or who are joining us online for the first time, how incredibly grateful we are uh, to have you as our guest. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, you can text the word CONNECT to the number that is on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you. Uh, this week. Or uh, if you're with us on campus, you can stop by one of the welcome areas on your way off campus and our team will be there to greet you and answer any questions you might have about getting plugged into the life of our church. Also, I want to make you aware of one more opportunity to connect with our church. Uh, that's our Discover Bayshore lunch, uh, which our one, the next one takes place today, immediately following our 11 o'clock uh, worship gathering and life group. So that'll be approximately 12:15 in the fellowship hall. Uh, if you don't know how to get to The fellowship hall. You can stop by uh, and say hello to any of our Connect team members, and they'll help you get there. Uh, At that lunch, we feed you. uh, We share the vision we have as a church, and then we give you the opportunity to answer, uh, ask any questions you might have for us uh, as a church. Let me also invite everyone back to our prayer night tonight. Um, We gather together about once a month to pray corporately as a church, and we'll be doing that tonight. We'll be looking back on just God's faithfulness, have some time of praising God. Uh, We'll talk about some things uh, upcoming. Uh, for the church this year, and then we'll give everyone opportunity to kind of just share uh, something that is is before them that they're facing in 2023 or they wanna see happen and pray for those things. So we invite you to be back for that tonight. And I ask you to go ahead and mark your calendars for Sunday night, February 5th, uh, for our next prayer and vision night, which is, um, depending on your background, might scare you a little bit, but it's actually uh, where we just celebrate God's faithfulness uh, to our church and how we've accomplished our vision uh, and really the things that we did or did not do in uh, the past year, and we look forward uh, to the upcoming year. We'll take communion. We'll celebrate those who went to be with the Lord, and so it's just a sweet uh, time. Uh, There's no football that Sunday night because the playoffs are done, and uh, the Super Bowl is the next weekend, so... uh, you don't have a whole lot going on that night, so come on, and uh, we have a fellowship hall afterwards. So we'd love for you, a fellowship afterwards in the fellowship hall. So we'd love for you uh, to be there with us, and we'll be sharing more about this as that time comes. And numbers still are not finalized, so I can't uh, share exact numbers, but. Over the past several years, we as a church, because of growth, uh, because of needs, because of vision, have aggressively increased our budget, and we have continually uh, met and exceeded that budget because of uh, the generosity of our church, and I'm just so excited to share with you that for 2022, we have exceeded our budget by at least $600,000, so praise Jesus. A third of that is gonna be given towards debt reduction to prepare us for future ministry opportunities. A third of that towards some uh, ministry and administrative uh, priorities that we need to uh, accomplish or weren't able to put in our budget. And then a third of that is going to go towards missions. So in addition to what we already budget, which is in the several hundred thousand dollars, that's another $200,000 going towards uh, missions, causes. And so I just am so excited to hear uh, the reports of how that money uh, is used for the kingdom. Well, as we get started in a new year, we start in a new book of the Bible, the book of Galatians. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Bible, that might sound like an Old Testament book, but it's actually in the New Testament. So if you go beginning in the Gospels and go a few uh, books forward, you'll find Galatians. It's not very long, uh, so be careful not to skip over it, but that's where we'll be this morning as we start a new series called Centered. This is a good time to be here if you are not a Christian because we'll really be explaining what is really at the center of what it means to be a Christian, at the center of Christianity. And if you're a new Christian, uh, this is important because it's going to really help you to stay focused on what you should be focused on as you uh, continue in your journey with Christ. And then to Christians, I think it is a needed reminder Uh, for all of us. We begin today by talking about the depth of the gospel, the depth of the gospel. I'll begin reading Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, I would not be a servant of Christ. So for clarity, the gospel means good news. That's what the word means, good news. You see, God is holy. God is God. And he created us, he created men and women to experience who he is, to know him, to live our lives for his glory. And yet, every single person who lives Sins. We choose our will over God's will. We choose what we think is best over what the all-knowing God thinks is best. And so that creates separation from a holy God and us who are not holy. So how can this be made right? God desires to have a relationship with us. God desires to have right standing with us. How can this be made right? Well, the answer that the Old Testament is a shadow of and points to, and the answer that we look back to is in Jesus Christ. Jesus came. He was perfect. He was blameless. He then was offered as a sacrifice on the cross for the atonement of our sins giving us a way to be made right with God. And so the call on our lives is to repent. That means to change our purpose from ourselves to God's purpose and believe in the good news that God did send Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so then a Christian believes this. That's what we're called believers. And then our life is lived in light of the belief that we have in who God is and what God has done for us. So that's what it means to be a Christian, but what happens in the life of Christians is we get off track. We get off track from that being our identity and our purpose and to which we focus our attention, from being centered around that. Now, there are two common reasons that we get off track or that we drift away from the gospel. There are two common reasons we drift away from the gospel. The first is lawlessness. Lawlessness. We say the standard that God sets is too high. What he's called us to do, how he's called us to live, it's too high. So we make up our own version of righteousness, of righteous living, of of Christianity. And the lie that we believe here is that we are all happy, so let's stay happy by not telling each other what to do. Let's just let each other live, let each other follow our heart, let each other do our own thing and not really be concerned with what God says for our lives. And this leads us to a place of selfishness because we are setting the law, we are setting the standards instead of God. So that's a way we drift from the gospel. Another way we drift from the gospel is legalism. So we have lawlessness, but now we have legalism. This is where we say the standard is too easy. It's just too simple. And God just giving Jesus as a free gift of grace and that being why I'm righteous, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. And so I feel a little insecure about that because I haven't done anything for that. So we have to make all these rules for us to feel mature in our faith, to feel right with God. And the lie here is that God loves me if I do this. Or if I don't do that. And it leads us to selfishness because we have accomplished the law. We have earned and achieved our righteousness. It is about what we have done or have not done. And lawlessness and legalism, while seemingly opposite of one another, share a common focus on ourselves instead of Christ. Now, this isn't just a product of our society today. It has been this way since the beginning of God having a people for himself. And so where better to look to understand this more and to get answers for what to do about this than where people were saving, facing the same issue and they heard from God. And so Galatians chapter one, we'll just begin kind of walking through that, starting in verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul and his crew are writing this letter to the church in Galatia, that's modern day Turkey, an area where Paul still oversaw the church. The reason they are writing this letter to the Galatians is because of a group called the Judaizers. This is a conservative group of Jewish Christians from Jewish heritage who have become Christians who are teaching that some of the legal requirements of the Old Testament, most notably circumcision, are a requirement for salvation. This created a problem for Gentiles coming to faith, because here's the message that they're sending about their membership. Come to the Discover Galatia class, and we'll have a few other classes, then we'll circumcise you, then you're a Christian, Then you remember the church, and a lot of the young men were like, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Churches already struggle reaching young men. They really struggle if circumcision is a requirement for them. So this is already discussed, by the way, and debated and decided upon by the Jerusalem Council, recorded in Acts chapter 15. But this group has started teaching this again and gaining influence in Galatia, and it is creating tension among the Christians there. The Galatians, who do not agree with the Judaizers, have referenced Paul and Barnabas' ministry and their teaching to the Gentiles. But the Judaizers, Judaizers are just dismissing that by questioning Paul's authority to speak to these issues. We'll talk about that more next week, but that's why Paul says, Jesus made me an apostle. And I think Paul is establishing a very clear issue here about the gospel. The gospel is from God, not man. The gospel is from God not man. Now, this seems simple, but we have to remind ourselves of this. God uses people to get the gospel out. The Word tells us about how he uses his church, how he uses his disciples to proclaim the gospel. But the gospel, the work of salvation, is from God. The gospel is his message, and it is the power of God For salvation. And it is what saves. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, Paul says, here's how we're saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He says, here's what saves you. Believing Jesus is who he says he was. Believing that he is Lord I'm confessing that he is Lord and believing that God demonstrated his power and Jesus' authority in raising him from the dead. That justifies you. That makes you right with God. That is what saves you. It's nothing else. It's just that. And so as a Christian, that's our response. That's our life is then staked upon that claim. But I want you to notice who Paul is writing to. Right there in verse 2, to the churches in Galatia. So, this letter reminding us of the gospel, explaining the gospel, is written to believers. Paul thinks believers need to hear the gospel again. Understand something the gospel isn't something we responded to one day, it is something we respond to. Every day. The gospel isn't something we responded to one day. It's something we respond to every day. The gospel wasn't something we believed and responded to when we were eight or 18 or 28. The gospel isn't something we just responded to when we walked down an aisle or we text, texted believe or we prayed with our parents. The gospel is something that a Christian responds to every day every day. Of our lives. We need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to preach the gospel to myself. And if I don't, I will start measuring myself up against others. And I feel better or worse based on how I measure up against them. But the gospel says it doesn't matter how I measure up With you, it matters how I measure up with God. And I fall short. And He comes to my rescue. And He gives us the grace and the peace the New Testament writers mention often. Grace and peace that Paul mentions here in verse 3 Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common greeting with an appeal to the fruit of the gospel. Grace. Means God is kind to us, in a way that we don't deserve. Grace means God is kind to us in a way that we do not deserve. Now we typically think of grace like this. I remember, uh, you know, we had had a partnership in my previous church with uh, missionaries in India. And I remember going over there and doing ministry in some villages and in some slums where there was not very much. And I was gone for a couple weeks, and so we had prepared a plan to take a family vacation uh, right after that. I mean, I think I flew back into uh, Jacksonville, Orlando, and went with my family to Disney. And I remember a little bit of frustration in, you know, the realization of how little there was over there and then how much there was uh, at at Disney. how, How people basically could never travel out of their village, They didn't have the means to do that. And then here people were traveling from all over the world to spend tons of money. But also, you know, it was like, man, I've been in this and then I have this, God's provided this to me. And I think a lot of times people think of grace like this, like they see what other people don't have and what we do have. And we think of that as grace. And I'm not saying that isn't a kind of grace, but maybe if it were a grace, it's a common grace because people experience that kind of grace apart from Christ. But this grace is the grace that comes from Jesus. It's the grace that says God is kind to us in a way that we do not deserve. The other thing he mentions here is peace. Peace is this deeply rooted feeling that we are going to be all right. This deeply rooted feeling that we are going to be all right. In spite of disappointments, dissatisfactions, serious trials, we are going to be all right. Why? Because of Jesus. Because no matter what might happen to me on this earth, nothing can take me out of the hands of God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And no matter what might happen to me on this earth, he will be with me in that. And so grace and peace are the fruit of the gospel. Grace and peace because of the work that Jesus has done. Look at what he says in verse four. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, when you hear present evil age, you probably think of some weird horror movie. I don't watch a lot of horror movies because my wife doesn't like watching horror movies, and I fall asleep in the first 10 minutes of any movie, actually, so I really don't watch movies, period. This is not some demon saying, I'm going to get you. What this is, is this is something subtle, You see, there is, if you want to use the word spirits, if you want to use the word forces, at work to try to get you and I to find joy in this age. Perhaps it's to find joy in toys. That our joy and our worth would be based on the things that we're able to accumulate. The next car, a boat, the trips we're able to take, the upgrades to our house. There are spirits a force at work to get us to find our joy in that. Perhaps it's in our job and just being able to be successful and feel successful. Perhaps it's the recognition that comes with doing well in our job. Perhaps it's the financial uh, reward that comes with doing well in our job. There is a spirit at work to get us to find our identity and our worth and our joy in that. Perhaps it's in a lover or lover's. And so there's a spirit and force at work that we would find our identity and our worth in this person and what they might give us and how they might gratify us. And we need to be aware of the reality that we use these things to forget our need for deliverance. Pastor Matt Chandler says it like this. When you love creation rather than the creator, you're trying to get from creation what creation cannot give you. You're going to hit a ceiling and grow frustrated in that ceiling and be forced then to medicate. Some of us are going to medicate with drugs and alcohol. Some of us are going to medicate with sex. Some of us are going to medicate with lust. Most of us are going to medicate with trinkets and toys. We live in a time and place of unprecedented freedom and prosperity, and yet we see an unprecedented amount of restlessness, and people struggling with worthlessness and depression. We have a mental health crisis in our nation. Why, when we have more freedom and more prosperity than any civilization that has ever lived? It's because these things don't give us what they think they will, we think they will give us. And people feel, as Selena Gomez said in a documentary, who's basically achieved everything most people would want in life. She says, everything I wished for, I've had and done all of it, but it has killed me. See, this is why Paul says, it is the will of the Father to give himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, to deliver us from thinking that toys or possessions or fame or influence can bring us the joy and worth that we want. God wants to rescue us from that faulty freedom. But notice That he says, to deliver us, not to help us. Something I think that is important for you and I to understand the gospel is this, and if you've been around here a long time, hopefully you've heard me say this multiple times, Jesus isn't our second chance, he is our only chance. Jesus isn't our second chance, he is our only chance. If you're here coming to church because it's the first of the year and your life isn't what you want it to be, you need to understand, even if you hear this from otherwise, the gospel Christianity isn't Jesus coming along to help you achieve the dreams that you had in the first place. It's not that you are a little messed up and Jesus can clean things up and make things better. It is that Jesus Christ is our only hope for righteousness. He's our only hope for experiencing true freedom. He's our only hope that, that for really understanding our worth. Jesus isn't our second chance. He is our only chance. This is why Jesus is central. And this is why he is adored by the believer. Paul says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is central. But Paul is writing to address the fact that people walk away from that. He will use the word deserting. There are people who respond to Jesus who respond to the gospel. He's everything, he's the free gift. He's my salvation, he's my only hope. And then they say, wait, this is a little too easy. Jesus, free gift, that's a little too scary for me to trust in grace alone. And I'm able to, you know, take care of myself pretty well, so let me help God with my righteousness. And we begin to add some religious requirements to help save us. And our faith begins to be centered around these things that we say save us. And we have gospel loosely attached to it, but the right basis of our righteousness has become Jesus and fill in the blank. And we have deserted the gospel. And this happens quick. Verse six, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Deserting the gospel can happen quickly. It is not always a slow fate. It is not always, oh, that person got, you know, tangled up with the wrong person and started to listen to the wrong Bible teacher. no. It can happen quickly. When Paul says, I am astonished that, he's using a literary device commonly used in Hellenistic letters to express irritation and surprise. Paul seems genuinely shocked. He's astonished that it happened so quickly that people deserted, and that's a military term that means abandoning your post, that they deserted him who called them, him who called you. Notice this. Desertion is not just about doctrine, it's about Jesus. Desertion is not just about doctrine, it's about Jesus. When we walk away from the gospel, we walk away from Jesus. This is important. People make it about denominations and style and preferences and personality and theology. But we're not just deserting the gospel, we're deserting Jesus because if the gospel given from God isn't central, then Christ isn't central. Verse seven, Paul says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In a market-driven age, we are accustomed to think of every church having a special niche, of every visitor as a prospective customer, And every aspect of worship designed to satisfy the customers. So we see variations of church based on preferences. But churches often become centered around those preferences. And we must be careful here. Because anything more or less than the gospel is not the gospel. Anything more or less than the gospel is not the gospel. When he says a different gospel, he's saying, not that there is another one. And so some aren't really rooted in the gospel. Here's what happens. And I have a visual. I, I wrote this in my handwriting and our uh, media team said, maybe we should make something look a little better for you so you can thank them. So the gospel is central to our lives. That's the good news that Jesus Christ has come and he's made us righteous. But again, we begin to drift away from the gospel into legalism or lawlessness because we either think, man, that's just a law; It's restrictive to live for God and and, you know, and I, I don't wanna give up all those things. Or we think, man, you know, I need to feel like I'm accomplishing something, like I've done something and so that, that's legalism. And then what happens here, and I'm sure there's other ways, but these are just the ones I can think of, is we begin to drift into something So, for example, if we are are headed towards legalism, then we might end up into moralism and find ourselves in a moralistic church with moralistic believers where we begin to say, hey, I don't drink margaritas at Mexican restaurants. I'm holy, I'm righteous. You see my t shirts? I have a Lord's Gym t shirt. Or it doesn't say Coca-Cola, the real thing. It says Jesus Christ is the real thing. I don't listen to those secular radio stations like 96.5. Sorry, that's what's under my car. I listen to whatever K-Love is on. This is who I am. I have a box on my TV, and I don't have to listen to cuss words. I'm not saying any of the things I'm talking about are bad things. But if you're not careful, what happens is they become the focus. And we begin to do things that take us away from the gospel. Maybe, maybe it's spiritualism. And you might be like, wait, that's unlegalism? Because most spiritual people would be like, we're not legalistic. But yes, you are. What happens is you become a people who say, oh, you don't speak in tongues? You're not saved. You don't get into worship? You must not have the Holy Spirit. You're not, you know, reading these kind of books and following this kind of author into this kind of deeper level of Christianity? You must not be a Christian, and I am righteous because look at the things that I do that are spiritual, or maybe it's intellectual. I can't believe people call themselves Christians, and they don't know how to define their soteriology or their eschatology. I can't believe it, and now look at all the things I know about who may or may not have written the book of Hebrews. Man, I feel pretty good about my faith. And again, these things are not necessarily bad things, but they can become bad things. And if the focus is off of the gospel, they have become a bad thing. Now, the other side, it's, it's lawlessness, right? Where we've begun to say, look, it's, it's so restrictive to be a Christian. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep maturing in my faith into lawlessness. And now look, we include everybody, Man, you must not be a God lover if you can't just accept everybody for who they are and let them do what they wanna do. And we begin to be prideful about our views. Look look at how, oh my gosh, those people over there in that church, they view this about the Bible still, even though culture has come so far. Or maybe it's pragmatism, where we would say, you know, hey, I may not be able to keep all the laws, but I know the seven steps to financial peace, and I manage my money better than you. You're still in debt, and you call yourself a Christian. Or meism, which I just made that word up just so you know. But that's like this view where people are like, I'm achieving my destiny with Christ. Oh, you still don't think you can be prosperous and healthy? There must be something wrong with you, which is just like what the Pharisees would say. And I put traditionalism and ritualism kind of straddling the two of those things because I think we could become traditional. Because we're legalistic, and so it's those traditions that make us feel righteous. Or, and this is a lot of people in Baptist life, I don't do anything else for God, but because I keep those traditions, I could live a life of lawlessness. And if you just, and that's our Protestant version, if you just want to take that a little more high church, a little more Catholic church, it's because I do the rituals. You see, what's happening here is we're walking away from the gospel. We're drifting into our own life and into churches where the focus becomes these other things. John Stott says this, you cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those who oppose, ridicule, and it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. Anything more or less than the gospel is not the gospel. Now, how big of a deal is this, which I'm talking about? Paul tells us how big of a deal this is. Look at verse eight and nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. If someone is leading people away from the gospel, it doesn't matter how significant of a position they have, how influential they are, or how godly they appear. Paul says, if we, the apostles. He says, if angels, as cute and fluffy and fat as they might be. That's not really what angels look like, just so you know, but that's okay. If they do this, If anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, the one that was received from Christ, let him be accursed. The language Paul is using means doomed to destruction, and he says it twice. So if what is being preached is not the gospel, the consequences are great. And I'm not just thinking about the popular preacher who I don't like. I'm thinking about me. I need accountability. I need to stay on guard that what I'm preaching is what has come from Jesus, because no one has authority outside of God. No priest, no bishop, no pope, no speaker, no influencer, no Sunday school teacher, no life group leader. We must ensure that we are teaching the gospel which has come from God and not man. We can't take away things because it makes it cooler or more relevant or more modern or more engaging. We can't add things because it makes it safer, cleaner, easier to control, or simpler. The gospel of God is from God and not man. And it is the power of God for salvation. And it is about Jesus and his righteousness and his greatness given to us. Now, before we wrap up, let me warn you of two things to pay attention to. First, definitions are important. You are bombarded with Christian messages today. What do they mean? Where are they getting that from? You see, no one thinks they're a heretic. They're like, hey, you know, this is my life philosophy. I might be heretical, but. So sincerity is not the issue. Listen to me, specifically everybody who's 55 and under. Just because somebody is sincere doesn't make them noble. We have been deceived here that if somebody is authentic and sincere, then they're pure. No, they might be authentic and sincerely headed to hell and leading everyone who listens to them with them. We need to understand that. You see, grace was a word that the Judaizers used. But when they said grace, they meant our natural ability to achieve and obey the laws and rights required in the Torah. We need to define peace. We need to define faith. We need to define good. We need to define love, church, gospel, Jesus, A progressive pastor, I I was reading an article written by her not that long ago, and she said about her church and her tribe, she said, we have chosen to step away from the traditional Jesus of the Bible. So to be clear, they have stepped away from Jesus. Definitions matter. Also be warned that motivations are important. What is the heart of this leader? What is the heart of this teacher? And we can't decipher that from whether or not they're engaging or look attractive or have a lot of followers. And Paul is showing here the purity of his motive. He says, hey, for now, or excuse me, for am I now seeking the approval of man, verse 10, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The issue as a leader Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Paul would work hard to see people come to know Christ. He became all things to all people. But the reason why is because he was a servant of Christ. It was about Jesus's glory. And he says, pleasing man and serving Christ are in opposition to one another. Ultimately, every leader, no matter how small or how large of influence they have, will be confronted with, is their primary allegiance to God or a group who affirms him or her? And you might wonder, how do Christian leaders get into a place where they would get off track? Because we all in our heart have this desire for affirmation. And when we find a group that affirms us, we are tempted to focus more on that than we are on what God says. Listen, I'm not talking about conformists here, because nonconformists are just conformists with tattoos. I'm talking about every person who has ever walked the face of the earth. And how do people buy into this and get into that diagram that I just showed you a moment ago? Martin Luther says it well. The devil's nature shows itself therein. If he cannot ruin people by wronging and persecuting them, he will do it by improving them. Religion becomes false security for us. And we begin to say, because I'm spiritual or because I'm moral or because I keep these traditions or because my life is pragmatically functioning well or whatever it might be, I feel good about myself. But we have lost what is central to our faith is what God has done to help us, not what we can do to help God. Anytime this has happened with all of my children when they were young and we were walking somewhere where the ground was iffy, maybe a hill or maybe there's water on the sides, and you know, I really want to have a secure grip on them because I'm worried they might fall. I hold on to them and I notice they try to always reposition their hands so that they have a hold on me because they think they are secure if they have a tight grip on me. But the reality is they are secure because I have a tight grip on them. Christian, you are not secure because you're doing well at your morals or doing well your traditions or you have a tight grip on God, you are secure because the God of all infinite power and wisdom has chosen to put you in his hands. That is the gospel and that is where your security comes from. And that is our righteousness. And any claim of righteousness based on something other than what God says is self-righteousness. Any claim of righteousness based on something other than what God says is self-righteousness. Our righteousness comes from the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to be focused on these different things and these religious things, they manufacture grace and peace for us. I I went to a hardware store not that long ago in town and I needed to buy some mulch and they had these free bags of mulch. I was like, sweet, free bags of mulch. And so I grabbed them and I got them home and they were full of maggots. (laughs) I'm just telling you that that's what a lot of this stuff is. We think by focusing on these things that they will give us grace and peace and it's easier because what has to happen in the Christian's life is the gospel has to be driven down deeper and deeper in our life. None of that stuff saves. Not doing church like they did in the old days saves. Not drinking sweet tea at a bar doesn't save you. Not having spirit fingers, it doesn't save you not learning the seven eschatological views, not experiences with candles and incense. Jesus saves. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, believes to the Jew who's circumcised and also to the Greek who's not. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith of the Old Testament to the faith of the New Testament. As it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Don't try to get a hold of God. Let God have a hold of you. And Christian, some of you have been saved and it's not because uh, you found a bunch of Christian t-shirts you could wear or because the bass and the loop pedal and the fog was just right or because someone's taught you and explain to you clearly sovereignty versus free will because they can't, or that you learn the seven steps to a great marriage. What saved you, I'm not saying those things don't help, but what saved you is in a moment of honesty, you realized you need Jesus. That's what saved you. Don't let that lose, don't let that out of your sight. May that be what drives you every day. Paul said, I'm a servant of Christ. That means bond servant of Christ. I have chosen to be in chains for Christ because what he offers me is better than what anyone else can give me. That's the gospel from him that saves and frees. And may it work in our hearts in a powerful way today. And G- let me pray. Jesus, God, there are fruits of the gospel, but the fruits do not save. So help us to not be primarily focused on fruit, but to help be primarily focused on the root, which is you and who you are and what you have done for us. And may that grow in us a desire to view ourselves in the mirror, to view the people in our homes, and to view the people in our neighborhoods through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves May we be people who respond to that good news every day of our lives. May we respond to it now in Jesus' name, amen.